Good morning. We're going to begin in worship this morning by standing and singing Majesty. Let's all stand and sing. be the name. Oh, for rock thousand tongues to sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The glories of my God and King. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, the name that calms my fears. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His blood can cleanse ears. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. 
Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. I never shall forget that day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When Jesus washed my sins away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Rosebar this morning. Um, we're so glad to have you with us this morning. If you're a visitor today, never been here before, we sure would appreciate if you take one of the cards that is in the pew in front of you there, fill that out, put it in the little box in the offering box out front, just so we can know a little bit more about you, uh, get to know you some. Um, but we are so glad you're here today. Um, if you remember, for the ones that are here last week, Brother Justin announced that this month we're taking up our harvest offering. And you know in the years past where we've done the harvest offering, we used it to pay off our building um, that we built in the back, our um, gymnasium. And so this year, since our gymnasium's paid off, we paid that off many years early. Um, so because of the harvest offering, we're going to take that money and we're going to use it for the Sunrise Children's Services. Um, and if you're not familiar with Chunk Sunrise Children's Services, we'll be talking about it a little bit more throughout the month. But a wonderful service that has helped families um, in adoption, helped foster kids. Um, and we're just, we'll continue to talk about it more in the, in the, as the month goes. But as I picked out the verses and I thought about you know, what we were going to do and the, the mission that we had this month, um, I, I looked for some verses that talked about how important children were to Jesus. And so I picked out Matthew 18, 2 through 6. And it says, Jesus called a little child to him and sat in the midst of them. And it said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you are by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And number five, verse five here is the one I really want to point out. And it says, whoever receives a little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little, little ones who, to, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Uh, as we pray, if the, um, guys, the guys will come for the offering um, as I pray. Father, as we come to you today, just help us, help us, Father, to remember how important children are. And we look around our sanctuary and how you've blessed us this year with so many kids. But Father, we, we realize that there's a lot of kids out there that don't have the loving parents that we have here in our church. There's parents that, you know, 
they have love maybe, but they've got themselves into trouble and they need something like Sunrise Children's Services to help them. Father, we pray for those kids. We pray that we'll do our part and help support this, this wonderful ministry, Father, to, to help and um, care for these kids. Father, as we, as we continue through our service, Father, I pray just be with Justin. Take all distractions of the world away from him this morning so that he can focus on the message that you've given him for us today. I pray, Father, that we'll take the message that you give us, apply it to our lives, use it for your honor and glory to share your blessed name with others, Father. Father, we ask that you forgive us for the many ways we fail you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. This next song we're singing, this is going to be our song of the month for September. Now, we like to focus on one, one uh, song for each month. We like to learn that song as a congregation. We like to meditate on the message of that song. That's kind of the idea that's behind us doing a song of the month. So this one is titled Faithful Now, and it is uh, sung by Vertical Worship, if you want to look that up on Spotify or whatever to, to learn the song. Um, but this song sings, we're singing about God's faithfulness to us and how sometimes we don't see all the ways that God is faithful to us. But that's where our faith comes in. And that's where we know, as believers, we can rest and trust on His Word, that He, is faith he was faithful then in the days of the Bible, and He's faithful now. So we're going to sing that song together. We're going to learn it. We're going to grow in it. So let's all stand and sing Faithful Now.
time when the kids come forward go to children's church we're gonna line up over here at this door to your right 
We're going to worship with one more song. If you want to sit, you can. If you want to remain standing, please do. We're going to sing Build My Life.
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity today to be in your house and to worship you together with fellow believers. Lord, I pray this morning that we would recognize who you are, Lord, how faithful you are to us, how good you are to us, Lord, the instructions that you give us to live a, a joyful, peaceful life in you. Lord, I just pray that all the hearts in your house today are, are softened, Lord. I pr pray that you'd remove any distractions that we may have in our minds Lord, I pray that we would be here seeking a message from you, Lord, seeking out to worship you genuinely with our whole hearts, Lord. And we're not motivated by anything other than that, Lord, to, to come here and to give you thanks and praise you for who you are and how good you are to us. Lord, we just thank you for your, your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, Lord, and, and, and lived a perfect life and showed us how to honor you and how to worship you and how we live, Lord. Thank you for sending him on that cross to be that sacrifice that, that we should be, Lord. That he, he bore the sin, Lord, that we, we so much deserve the wrath for. But Lord, that's true love. Thank you for showing that to us. Grow in us, Lord. Help us to, to walk in your ways. I pray for Brother Justin right now as he's bringing your message to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Esther chapter 1, Esther chapter 1, in the Old Testament goes Nehah, Esther, Job, Psalm, so look to Psalm, then turn to your left a few uh, pages and you find yourself in the small book, in the Old Testament book of Esther. Thank you so much for being here this morning as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. Uh, we do want to be mindful and in prayer for our uh, children and the leaders that have been away this weekend at kids camp in Hardin, Kentucky. So no, not too terribly far away, but I know I've had heard reports of wonderful things going on there. And uh, so uh, we praise God for that. And it will be uh, finishing this new, uh, this right after lunch. They'll be done and be heading back for too terribly long. So we want to Remember them in prayer and the leaders and the kids there, and we're thankful for the opportunity for the kids to be able to go and to spend time worshiping the Lord and Savior, learning memory verses, and learning more about Jesus Christ. So be in prayer for them this morning and as they make their way home this afternoon. But here, we are going to begin a study of the book of Esther. Um, if you look in the chronology of the Bible or the Old Testament, Esther is one of the latest or the uh, one of the latest books in the Old Testament, one of the oldest books in the Old Testament, if you will. It's, uh, it's almost at the beginning of the New Testament. The idea is right before some of the 400 years of the silent years that we know in between the Old Testament and New Testament. 
This is one of two books in the Bible that's named after a woman. So we have Ruth, we have Esther. Um, and what we see all throughout the Bible, not only in names of the books, but we see that God uses women in great and amazing ways to accomplish His holy and divine purposes. We see that in the Judges, we see that with Ruth, we see that with Esther, we see it in the New Testament with Priscilla, who was married to Aquila. And, and so we see this throughout Scripture, that God uses women in an amazing way. And so we're going to look now at Esther. If you were to outline the book of Esther, you could do so in this way. Uh, the first two chapters, we learn about Esther and her coronation. All right? we, we're going to learn Esther becoming queen. And so the first two chapters kind of teach us what that looks like and how, how that come to be. And then we learn in chapters 3 through 7 about this man named Haman. And we learn about his condemnation, all right? Haman is an evil and wicked man who has evil and wicked thoughts and ideas to ultimately annihilate the Jews, which is God's chosen people. And so he has a plan on making that happen. And so we see that that don't actually happen, but instead Haman is being annihilated in his condemnation. And then in chapters 8 through 10, we see Israel's celebration. So Esther's coronation Haman's condemnation and then Israel's celebration is how you could outline the book of Esther. The book of Esther is unique as it doesn't mention the name of God one time in the, ver the chapters and verses that you read. And although the name of God is not mentioned, the hand of God is seen all throughout the book. The fingerprint of God, even when his name is not mentioned, he shows up in unexplainable ways, orchestrating things in only the way he can behind the scenes in order to advance his purpose and to deliver and to protect his people. So we're going to see that and keep our, our minds on that as we walk through this book together. Esther is a book that is not quoted in the New Testament. Not one time is it quoted in the New Testament. Esther, for the most part, it teaches us the historical, uh, what was going on in history in this particular day and time of Esther. All right, and, and, and what we're going to learn is, is this is the period. If we didn't have Esther, we wouldn't know about the people who stayed back in captivity. Remember when Ezra came and he allowed, and in that time the king allowed some of the, the people of God to go back to Jerusalem and to build a temple. And out of the people he said, it's okay, you can go back. And only 50,000 went. One million stayed. They didn't go. They, they kind of felt like they had it kind of good, and they got used to living in this captivity. They became familiar, and they liked it, and they were afraid to go, so they stayed. Well, Esther tells us what happens with the one million that stayed. <laughs> the million that stayed. Esther gives us a history and an understanding of what's going on there. So let's look in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. And then I'll tell you more as we dive in. If you don't mind, stand to your feet as we honor God's word. Verse 1, the word of God says this. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan in Citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all of his officials and servants, 
the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when the days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in the Shushan, the citadel. From great to small in the court of the garden, the king's palace, there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on the mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of the household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in royal palace, which belonged to the king Ahasuerus. That's a second palace, notice that. On, in verse 10, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahum, Mahum Bistha, and Harbana Bigtha, and Abagatha, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs, who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring King Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Let us stop right there and pray for God's help. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we pray now by the power of your spirit that you accomplish your divine purpose with your word. May your word not return void as you've promised in your scripture. But may you teach us and give us and grant us understanding that we may take your word and hide it in our heart, that we may obey your call in our life. Find Satan from this place and have your will in your way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Esther doesn't make her appearance in chapter 1. It's not until chapter 2 that we learn of Esther. So next week we'll learn more about Esther, who she is, where she comes from, and what God is going to do through her. Today we're going to zoom in on chapter 1 a little bit. But before we do, I want to give you a summary of like what is going on in this chapter, and then we'll zoom in and understand the things a little bit better. So this book could easily be made into a soap opera or even a movie. It is very, it has drama, it is, has intrigue, it is bizarre, it's got so many storylines, plots, and twists uh, that keep you somewhat on the edge of your seat. Um, and at this time, once you understand where we are in the history of this time as well, Persia is in world power at this particular time, but there is a rising of the Greeks. All right? There is a rising in the West. 
in the West that has taken place. And what we ultimately understand is the Greeks come and they come to world power. But at this time, they're just starting. And it's in the West. And there's actually a movie that's been made of this, the movie called 300, I think is what it's called, about the Spartans that come in. And about I wouldn't recommend watching it anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, it is a movie that is made about uh, the, the Spartans that come in and they are battling and is King Xerxes. And so this is kind of what's happening at this particular time. This is the time period it takes place. But to summarize what's happening in this chapter is the king, Ahasuerus, right? He, he has a little, he has this party for all of his officials and the governors and the rulers and, and those of all these provinces, and he throws this party, and at this party he has a little too much to drink. And he tells his wife Vashti to come and to parade herself around for all to see. And she refuses. And one of the king's buddy leans over to the king and says, are you going to let her disrespect you that way? I mean, if she was my wife, I'd tell you what I would do. I would let her know who wears the pants in this household. This is what you should do for her. Evidently, King Ahasuerus had Neil Ward as a friend. <laughs> Don't listen to Neil's advice on marriage. <laughs> the king listens. <laughs> And he dismisses his wife because she disrespected him. And so that's kind of, well, that's what we're going to read in the next couple verses as we read together. So that's kind of a summary of everything that is going on. But I want us to now focus in on the story and notice two things in and of itself. The first thing I want you to see is the man. The man I want you to see, or the one I'm referring to, is King Ahasuerus. Now, in your Bible, some of yours translation says King Ahasuerus. Some of yours says King Xerxes. And the reason why is because his Persian name was Ahasuerus. His Greek name would have been King Xerxes. Being that Xerxes is a whole lot easier to say than Ahasuerus, I'm going to refer to him as Xerxes, all right? Everybody clear with that and okay with that? Uh, but that is why some of your translations say that, uh, the two different names. Um, his dad was the king whom Nehemiah served as the cupbearer. Remember that? Nehemiah was a cupbearer of the king, and it was the king that granted allow him to go and to help rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, the wall, right? And so this, that was his dad. Now Xerxes is in power. He's in his mid-30s. He is the king of 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. He, it's about 3 million square miles, which is a little over the size of the United States of America. This is the most powerful man in the powerful kingdom on planet Earth. Okay? King Xerxes. He is powerful. He is rich. He is famous. He has elaborate palaces, a couple of palaces, be it. Just in case one breaks down, he has another he can go into. But he has these palaces with everything you can think of at his disposal. He is basically the president of the United States, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, LeBron James, and Michael Jordan combined in this time period. He is a big deal. If you don't believe it, just ask him. <laughs> All right? Just ask him. He, he was exalted like a god. He was worshipped like a god. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. 
He was protected by secret servicemen. His secret service was made up of 10,000 of the greatest warriors, 2,000 of the greatest horsemen, I mean, and then 2,000 lancers. He sits on a royal throne. And not only that, but when his men are in battle, he has men of his that will pick up his throne while he's seated on the throne and carry him out to the battlefield so that he can watch his men win the battle and bring victory to him. He is seated on the throne and they carry him where he goes on his throne. This man has it all. His money, his fame, his power. He's worshipped as a god. He's good looking. Verse 3, it says he throws a party. Now this party is nothing like a party that you've ever been to. Nothing like a party that I've ever been to. But I do want to give you a sidebar just for a moment. In this book, Esther, there's about 8 to 10 different parties. He likes parties. He likes banquets. He likes throwing these get-togethers or whatever. Every single one of them, there's a transition involved. It's almost like they act as a scene. So each party is like a scene in and of itself, all right? So we'll kind of keep that in our minds as we walk through this book together. But here's the first party we see in chapter 1. And he throws this party like we've never seen before. It is for his noblemen. It is for the governors and the rulers and the leaders of this day, about 15,000 people. Some, Some of the commentators would say this particular party was gathered for them to enjoy themselves, but it was also to develop a plan, a battle plan, because of what he hears is going on in the West with, with, with Greece and with the Greeks, all right? That is just what some commentators say. Others say he's just wanting to enjoy himself. But anyway, he throws this party for all of the governors, rulers, and leaders of the day. It's about 15,000 people that are coming for this party. And then in verse 4, notice this. It lasts for six months. I mean, this. think of it as this is like a cruise, right? It is all the food you can eat, all that you can drink, whatever you want to do. There's no rules for six months. Being on a cruise ship for six months, but instead of a cruise ship, you're in the palace with the king. But why did he throw this party? Look at the end of verse four. Was, first, was he just wanting to be nice to the people? kind to help others. I mean, he's got all this money he don't even know what to do with. He is so rich, so filthy rich, he don't even know what to do with his money. And so is he wanting to be kind and help others? No. What verse 4 tells us is he's wanting to display his wealth, display his splendor, and display his glory. You see, some of your translation, and even New King James where it says, it don't necessarily say display his splendor and his glory. Other translations do, and I think they hit the nail on the head there. He is wanting to display his glory. How many of you know glory is a worship word? Glory is reserved for God alone. Here, King Xerxes thinks that he is God. He thinks that he deserves to be worshipped. And the whole reason why he's having this party, whole reason why it's so lavish and, and eloquent and elaborate and, and having all it is to display his glory. To say, look how great I am, how awesome I am. Come and worship me. Xerxes thought a lot of himself. Verse 5, 
after the six-month party of the rulers and the governors and was over, guess what happens? Then the king throws a seven-day party or banquet for everyone else. Some of the commentators said this is for the ones who helped put on the six-month party, all right? Or it was for those that was in close vicinity that can actually get into the kingdom. This particular party is, is for, for everyone. It's for the rich and the poor, the have and the have-nots, those who labor. And guess what? We have Labor Day tomorrow, right? Aren't you a little bit jealous? We celebrate Labor Day one day out of the year. He gives them seven days, right? He gives them a whole week. Of to come and he opens up the palace, he opens up the gates and he lets everyone in. There's 50,000 people coming to this banquet. Once again, why is he doing this? Because he appreciates their work, he appreciates their service, he wants to show kindness, he wants to show love, he wants to be good and nice and kind to help people? No, so that they may see the majesty of the king and the majesty of the kingdom, so that they may never in a million years ever think to come against the king because they will never succeed. If they could see how great he is and how much he has and what all they would have to deal with, they would never go against the king. Xerxes thought he was Jesus. You see, remember where we are in the layout of the Bible. We are almost to the 400 years of silent period. Remember, it's at a time period where, where God's people is looking for a king. They're longing for a king. They're searching for a king. And Xerxes is saying, I'm him. I'm who you're longing for. I'm who you're looking for. He thought and acted like he deserved to be worshipped. But what we know and learn is that Jesus is a better king. Jesus is a better, sometimes, think of it now, let's, trans, let's move into our modern times that we're living in right now. Sometimes we think if we could just get the right president in office, then our country could be fixed and we could go in the right direction. But what I think meant, in Sunday school we've been learning about first and second kings, right? What did we learn? There was about a bunch of bad kings and a few good kings. But what it teaches us is no matter who is king, it doesn't do away with sin and corruption that is in the country. Yes, they may move in a positive direction for a bit. They may move us, in a, but move us further in the way of obedience, but they all falter and they all fail. Some more than others when we're talking about failure. But the whole point is to remind us that Jesus is a better king. He is the only one to be worshipped. He is the only one that we are to long for. So get this. Joe Biden proves to us that Jesus is a better king. That Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Get this. Donald Trump Prove to us that Jesus is a better king. That Joe is not worthy of worship. Donald is not worthy of worship. Jesus alone is worthy of worship because he is the only one fit to be the king who reigns for all of eternity. Anyone else falls short and will fail in their sins every... And it makes that abundantly clear by the way that they lead. Jesus is the only true king. Some people think, well, just, and I want to hope you hear this with a right heart. If Billy Graham would have been the president of the United States for the last 50 years of his life, there would still be sin and corruption in our country today. Not because Billy Graham is not a good man and a godly man. He most definitely is. But it's because sin is in the hearts of all humanity. 
And it will remain so until Jesus comes again and, pr- and makes all sin be removed from, uh, from existence and be placed into hell. Xerxes thought he was that king. The people were looking for a king. They were excited about it. They were longing for a king, but Xerxes thought he was. But Jesus is the rightful king that we reserve our worship for him and him alone. What we, learn about, uh, what we learn about Xerxes is he is a man in need of Jesus, but he didn't see his need because he thinks he's so great. He thinks he has everything he could ever want and ever need. How could he ever need Jesus? That's what he was thinking. And the truth is, Xerxes is a picture of us when we're born. Yeah, we might not be rich, we might not be famous, we might not have power, but here in the United States of America, we pretty much have a roof over our head, we have food on our table, we have the things that we need, and if you work hard, you can become successful in the eyes of this world. And some of us in Paducah, Kentucky, think, I've got what I need. Why do I need Jesus? There's many who are so successful that think they've worked for everything they've got, and the last thing they need is Jesus because I've got everything I need. That's where Xerxes was. Xerxes never worked a day in his life. He was, remember, his father was a king, he was a king. He had everything he could ever imagine and ever need in his mind. But what we learn about Xerxes is he is a sinful man in need of a Savior. He needed Jesus. So that's a little bit about the man that we're going to learn about King Xerxes. But the second thing I want you to notice is the marriage. Look in verse 9 again. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belongs to king. Verse 10, we learn about the eunuchs that was sent, um, that commanded her to come. Verse 11, bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing the royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people. Verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused. Tell the eunuchs that you sent to me. Send them back to the king. Tell them no. Verse 13, then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, this was the king's manner to all who knew the law and justice. Those closest to him being uh, Karshina, Shethar, Adamatha, Tarkan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence, who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of king as Hesereris. Brought to her by the eunuchs. And Memucan answered before the king and the princess, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Asherah. For the queen behavior will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes. And when they report, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of their behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make it is proclaimed throughout his entire empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, 
that each man should be mastered in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. All right, that's how in chapter 1 ends. We learn a little bit not only about the man, King Xerxes, but we learn about his marriage. His marriage. Verse 9, Vashti is the queen. Vashti is the granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. Not only that, but I, one of the commentators I learned is that Xerxes, um, Vashti was originally King Xerxes' brother's wife. That King Xerxes liked his brother's wife, took her for his own wife. Not only that, but he took his brother's wife's daughter. So he married his sister-in-law, took her for his wife, and his niece took her for his wife because he was the king and he, what he liked, he took. All right, so that's what we learn a little bit about uh, Vashti and her daughter. And so that is now Queen Vashti. Vashti is the queen, and for seven days they have these parties. There's, the men and women would be separate. In the culture, they wouldn't be eating together, celebrating together, having parties together. They were separated, all right? That was the culture of the day is. So Xerxes has this party for the men. Vashti has the party for the women. Verse 9, it says, When King Xerxes was high in spirits from the wine, that's a nice way of putting he was drunk. Um, but he, Xerxes, commanded Vashti, come to the men's party, parade around so the men could see her beauty. This is most likely asking her to, with little or no clothes, come and parade around to show her beauty. And in verse 12, verse 12 it says, she refused to come. Now, in our day, we understand this completely, right? I mean, if you had that request, there's a bunch of guys who are absolutely drunk because they've been drinking. Well, some of them have been drinking for six months straight, and then now there's another group that's been drinking for seven days straight. And so now a command comes for this woman to come with little or no clothing and to parade around a group of drunk men, and her say no is not a surprise to us, right? I mean, that would be the smart thing to do, right? That is not a good command to, uh, to say yes to. So he says no, but in this day, but in this day, understand what I just told you about King Xerxes. That he's never been told no in his entire life. No one has told him no. He's had power, he's had fortune, he's had fame. Anything he's ever asked, anything he ever wanted, he got. And Queen Vashti says, no. So then... The king, not knowing what to do because no one's ever told him no before, he refers to then the wise men of the day of law, order, and justice. What do I do? She said, no, to my command. Nobody's ever done that before. Like, what do I do? She, she's my wife. And so he asked them, the rulers of the land. And so then, after talking to the leaders and the rulers, who were also, remember a moment ago I said that was his friend, his buddy said this. They're his buddies, but they are the wise men of the laws. And they, uh, what they say then is, we must put an end to this. They were fearful this disrespect would spread to all women if the king didn't do something. That, hey, this is like they all witnessed her saying no, and if she says no to the king, then all wives are going to say no to their husbands, and we can't let that happen, so we must do something to the queen. So it says, this request 
or this command made the king happy, so he put out a decree. And it says he put out a decree that he dismisses his wife, that she can no longer be in the presence of the king anymore. She loses her position as queen. She's no longer in his presence or in his palace, for she has been put out because she disrespected him. Not only that, but they sent out a decree to all parts of the kingdom, to every province, that every man should be ruler over his household. Basically, the women were treated very poorly in this day, as you can tell. (laughs) They were to do whatever the husbands asked, whenever and however he wanted. And so this, this is how they were treated. This was the law of the land. And so they send out this decree to make sure every woman understands you are to obey your husband, no matter what. This was the law of the land, but this is not the law of Scripture about marriage. Let's look at marriage in general, right? Because guess what? Understand, just because things happen in Scripture, it doesn't mean Scripture condones it. This here is a historical account of all that transpired. doesn't mean that this is condoned by God. It's given us a historical account of what was taking place, and this is what this decree goes out. What we learn in Scripture is that women are to respect their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. Xerxes thought of marriage like a business contract. If I provide for you financially, I take care of you, and I could give you all that you could ever want, then you do for me what I want, when I want, how I want it. But what Scripture teaches is marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. And what that means is a contract says, I will do this for you if you do for me. Or I'll provide money for you if you provide a service for me. And if you don't provide the service, I'm not going to provide the money. It's because you broke the contract. That's what a contract is. It's a business contract. But a covenant is saying, I will do for you. It's an unconditional covenant that I will do for you even if you don't do for me. So what is the covenant you're entering into? As a husband, you will love your wife whether she respects you or not. That you're going to love her and you're going to cherish her like Christ loved the church whether she respects you or cares for you or helps you or not. That's what a covenant looks like. And then a woman will respect her husband. But guess what? It's not this. I'm not going to respect you until you love me. Or I'm not going to love you until you respect me or give me the respect that I deserve. Because what? Well, here's the beauty part of marriage that God designed it, right? God designed it of how it's supposed to be and how it works. This is how it works. When you give love, respect is reciprocated. And when you respect, love is reciprocated. It's like God designed it for his people because it is really good. And so he's teaching us how to enjoy marriage to its fullest and be a gospel witness to a lost and dying world is to love our wives no matter what and to be faithful to her, to be committed to her, to be loyal to her no matter what and to our wives are to be respectful, to respect her husband, to be encourage her husband, to build up her husband and to care for him, be loyal to him, be faithful to him and this is a way that God designed marriage for his people to be a gospel witness to a lost and dying world and King Xerxes, all he saw it for was a business contract Here's this man 
this king who thought he was God, but he was nothing more than a sinful man. The truth is, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are all Xerxes at some point. Some point, we think this entire life revolves around us. You don't believe me? Talk to a two-year-old, right? Phoenix is almost three, but that dude has got the life, all right? If there's any life I want to live is Phoenix when he is two and a half years old. Like, um, he goes to grandma's house, they give him whatever he wants. Um, and he goes home, and then he says he didn't get anything. Like, he's, everywhere he goes, people are giving it to him. He thinks this world revolves around him. And the truth is, when we're born into this world, we are kind of like that. We feel like this world exists to help us, please us, give us what we want, for us to enjoy. It's all about us. But what we learn in Scripture is this. We are a broken sinner in need of Jesus. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we now no longer live this life trying to please ourselves, or get this, even trying to have our wife please us, but we are to give our life to please our Heavenly Father. We are to live our life for Him who is worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. And so we begin here with Esther, with a king, a king who is broken, a king who is sinful. And this king is going to point us forward to our need for a righteous king who is the only one fit to rule and to reign for all of eternity. This king is the, is the king the Jews were looking for. This king is the king the Jews were longing for. This king is King Jesus. And our purpose here on this earth is to obey the king. And when we do, the Lord Jesus Christ will use us for His divine purposes, for His glory and our good, and this will fulfill us like nothing else on planet Earth will. You see, King Xerxes was trying to find fulfillment in, in drinking and money and fame and fortune and all of the things that the world had to offer him. He was the greatest man at this point with money, fame, and fortune, but it didn't fill him. It left him looking and longing for more. What the truth is, sin only leaves us emptier than when we began. Searching and longing for more and it is only Jesus that will fill us and <laughs> that will find that contentment, that peace, and that joy like never before. So this is what we're going to be looking at in Esther in the days coming forward. We'll look at chapter 2 next week, but let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, I thank you that as we're born into this world sinful, trying to please ourselves and living for ourselves. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You loved, or God the Father loved us enough to send his one and only son, Jesus, that when we were not fit enough, lovely enough, good enough, you still sent your one and only son that we may have life and life eternal. We thank you for that unconditional love that you've shared with us through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray if there's one here this morning that has not experienced that unconditional love, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life, they're still trying to please themselves, they're still trying to feel themselves, Lord, I pray today is the day 
that you convict them of their sins and draw them to yourself before it's everlasting too late. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you remind us about the King that we are to please. Help us to obey you, to follow you, to serve you in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and accomplishes your great purposes on this earth. Have your will in your way this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? Respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Thank you so much for coming and being with us this morning as we jump into the book of Esther. Pray that you have a wonderful week. I want to remind you a few announcements and then we'll be dismissed. Um, our Wednesday night service, Awana, has kicked off and our youth Bible studies and adult Bible studies. Um, Awana begins at 6.30, youth begins at 6.30, and our adult Bible studies at 6.45 in the fellowship hall. And so um, we have given out all of our books for our Wednesday night study. I've ordered a few more. They should be in by Wednesday uh, that I'll have them then. But that is our Wednesday services we're planning for. And then a reminder about our mission offering we're taking up on September the 18th. Uh, you can be praying how God would lead you to give in that endeavor to Sunrise Children's Services. And then we do want to wish a very happy anniversary to Mike and Francis Hovacamp coming up on September the 8th. Speaking of marriage today, thank you so much for a faithful witness of marriage and a gospel witness um, to a lost and dying world. May God bless you guys on your anniversary. If you'll stand to your feet, we're going to be dismissed today. Thank you so much for being here. May God bless you. We will see you Wednesday night and then next Sunday. Jeff Holland, good to have you back with us. Would you mind leading us in our closing prayer?